Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, January 17th of 2023, where two laypersons, a pastor and an academician, gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. This Sunday is January 22nd of 2023. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And today, for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota, that's 5.30 a.m. Central Time. Our team's working to be faithful to year A. And that puts us in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, during the coming weeks of Epiphany, we're using the letters identified in the lectionary to create an understanding of the Gospel text. So we've got a two for today. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. And here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person, who's Sarah Mickelson this week, shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Charles Willard, up in Cole, Minnesota. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. And I'm Don Upton, and I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And like I said, our leadoff person today is Sarah Mickelson. She's been thinking carefully about both of the passages for today's discussion. Hello, my friend. What's the good news? Good news is it's Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. I'm going to read Matthew first, and then Corinthians second, and then we will open with questions. Um, so reading from the New Revised Standard Version, um, starting with Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and the shadow and shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left and followed him. And as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. And now reading the Corinthians selection, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same purposes. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters, 
And what I mean is that each of you says, well, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you are baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That ends the reading of our scripture. Such interesting passages to lay parallel to each other and and explore where the common ground is. So what common themes do you see between these passages and how might these themes help us as Christ followers in today's world? What do you think, Bill? Uh, as I told you Sunday in adult faith formation, each of your questions uh, spark something in me. So thank you for the questions. And a reminder that we pose these questions, not necessarily that those listening who are going to be leading the class should ask the same questions, but that asking questions engages our hearts and minds. And what I think this is all about is what difference does this make in our lives today? Common things. For me, Sarah, a theme in both of these passages, dissimilar though they may seem, is that of challenge and that we have choices to make. Challenge means confronting us, uh, discipline, uh, confronting, and a reminder that each of us uh, has a capacity to make choices. Both passages, it seems to me, Sarah, are, this is obvious, about people living in community. (laughs) Paul is addressing, as I mentioned last week in my lead-in to the previous passage from Corinthians, this was a church that was caught in very powerful conflict within itself over sexual ethics, over theology, over uh, relationships. Um, And Paul is addressing that, and Jesus comes to people in today's passage, in particular four, Andrew and Peter, James and John, who have families, who have work. Uh, they're living in a community. They're they're engaged in larger relationships, and Paul is engaged in seeking to heal relationships among people. And Jesus, as you read, uh, was healing individuals. So healing is a common thing, and I think. I started to say most importantly, I, I don't want to say that. All the things are important. Certainly a powerful one is what some commentators refer to, and I would echo, identity. 
we know the phrase, who you are and whose you are. <laughs> Last week, in the previous passage in First Corinthians, Paul said the people were saints, they were sanctified, enriched in Christ, not lacking in any spiritual gift. They will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the power of God, they are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, Paul is calling them to understand who they are and whose they are. Um, And then he says, as you read, I appeal to you that all of you be in agreement, no divisions, united in the same mind and the same purpose. And Jesus, uh, in Luke's account, this is reflected in this chapter of Matthew, Mark 1, and Luke 5. In Luke's account, uh, Jesus enables a bass catch of fish, honoring their current then current employment and the need to support their families to make money um, and then Jesus invites them into a new kind of fishing and I know we'll get to that in a, a subsequent question that you're going to ask in other words Sarah into a new identity those are the things I see in both thank you so much um, Charles do you want to throw something in No? Don, what are your thoughts? What do you see as common themes in this, these two passages? From the opening of Corinthians, I'm just going to focus on one, which is the emptying of the power of Christ. And I think, for me, that ties them together. Uh, first, you know, I've got to raise the question, can the power of Christ be emptied? And I think it's a yes and no. Like, the, the eternal promise of Christ cannot be emptied out. But the access can, in terms of behavior and unit, lack of unity, so I think what Paul talks about, can can our behavior uh, empty the power of Christ? I think the answer is yes. And how does that tie to Matthew? And I think the way it ties is it's uh, the, whole, the whole connection between the Corinthians passage and the Matthew passage, passage is a meditation on the death of John. He's in, he's in prison now. He's at, he's at risk. But I think it's a meditation on the death of John. It's a, it's a dark meditation, but I think it connects to what Paul's talking about. Uh, can the cross be emptied of its power, especially in terms of personal affiliations, behavior, lack of unity? His answer, I think his answer is yes. So let's look at John and his imprisonment. John, his liberty has been taken at this point, and he's in serious jeopardy. So the voice of the forerunner is cut off, and eventually he's going to be removed from the stage completely. Um, and he has followers, John. He has a voice. He is a voice in the wilderness. He is known. Uh, but Jesus' mission continues. Um, he picks it up. He starts repeating the same things. Uh, repent. Same. Same. And, and I'm, I, 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 if it sounds really simple, I, I really mean it to be. Uh, John is taken off the stage. For step one of being taken off the stage is another step. He's going to be executed. Uh, and it does go on because it's not tied to John. And I think that connects to what Paul's talking about. Like, you know, I'm glad I didn't baptize you. 
because you would have been confused and it would have been my voice and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be in jeopardy and I'm going to pass and that's not it. Uh, so the analogy of first Corinthians is, would be if, if I were a follower of John, I belong to John. And I think they were dealing with those issues. John's always pointing. No, not me. Very Paul like, right? Not me, not me there. There he goes. There goes Jesus. That's John the Baptist. Look, there he goes. This, that's Paul, right? It's Paul, too. Not me. I'm really glad I didn't baptize you because that would be even more confusing. He's over there. Don't you remember? We all repented. Repentance in the past. <laughs> we did it. We've arrived. Let's get to work. So I think it's tied to John's. I think that's why the connection is made. That's what I would say. If I were in a small group, somebody goes, what, why are these two passages together? I think it's a meditation on the death of John the Baptist. And uh, his viability and John's behaviors uh, if if we're tied to John the Baptist, is Jesus emptied of his power? It, with that angle, yes, he is. Paul would go, yes. If you focus on John the Baptist, he is. So I think Paul is especially sharp here. Uh, and if I peg the gospel uh, to a person, it falls apart. And it is emptied of his power. And he very precisely and very sharply says, for instance, I'm really glad I didn't baptize you. Are you kidding me? If I baptized you, are you kidding me? If I baptized you, you mean you're going to be pegging your decisions to me? That's not the way it works. So I think that's this elegant with the electionary committee connection that was made to the emptying of the power and let's meditate on John the Baptist being taken off the stage and let's meditate on Paul and other people who people are trying to follow, confusing and emptying the cross of its power. That's that's what I think, sir. Wow. So I, I, I'm going to say I got to the same place that Bill did. Um, I hear this story has a call and a response. Both of these passages seem to have calls and responses. Um, I think that 1 Corinthians offers a response to the call, so that the call being made to the disciples in the Matthew text is answered to some extent, or a response is given in the Corinthians passage um, that can be offered to any believer following the call of Christ. So I liked that call to action and that acknowledgement of challenging choices. I see both of those in this. I also saw a displaced and in motion behavior. In the Corinthians text, Paul um, is is asking the Corinthians to examine why they have displaced Christ. And by that, I mean, why have they claimed Cephas or Apollos or Paul instead of Christ as the, as the person that has redeemed them? Um, so it's an interesting echoing I see in that Jesus is displaced and moving as a recurring theme in the <coughs> Um, Matthew's narrative gives us a holy family that's displaced from the inn to the stable, from Bethlehem to Egypt. Um, we see this this process of you need to go now or you can't be here now kind of going on. And, and the, the interesting thing is it's almost always um, a life-saving move to be displaced Jesus is rejected in his hometown. They reject 
they displace him because they don't like his his language and what he's saying as he reads the scripture. Um, I think that uh, Paul challenges this divisive congregational squabbling as destructive, exclaiming that belonging to Paul, Cephas, or Apollos displaces Christ. And Paul repoints the Corinthians and us to belong wholly to Christ, um, who is our salvation and point of reference, regardless of our denomination, our partisan politics, and our charismatic leaders. I said, what powers, my my follow-up question in my own head was, what powers are wrestling with and seeking to displace Christ in today's congregations? I could even say today's communities or today's world. Um, So I hear a call and response. Um, Mark Davis writes a bit about this call and response of the disciples. It seems related to what Paul Tillich called the he autonomy the alternative to heterotonomy, um, being a law outside of yourself that that you are abiding by, and the autonomy um, and freedom that is a compulsion that you keep inside your heart. And he suggests, Tillich does, that this signifies the moment when the call from outside of you corresponds to the longing within you. And you react to Christ in, in, a, in a way to follow him. So that was this interesting idea that there's this intersection between what my heart wants and what external forces actually are encouraging me to do. And when those intersect, that's, that's why the disciples moved toward Christ when he called them, and that's why we move toward Christ when we are feeling called. So I I liked both of those themes a lot. Um, But it led me to question number two. And I I see intersections in this language in both of these passages, almost as if you could start a sentence in one and finish the sentence in the second passage. Um, And I I was going to try to describe it as copying and pasting, but I, I figured you guys would get the gist without me doing all that. I said, where do the words in these two passages intersect for you? What do you think, Don? Well, I agree. It is elegant. And yeah. Sometimes we're frustrated looking at how the lectionary is put together. We throw up our hands and, you know, very vocal about it. You know, it's like, this doesn't work. But this is just elegant. It, I like that it takes a little work, too. It doesn't just pop out. You have to live at it a little bit, which goes to what Paul's talking about. You have to live at it a little bit. You need to see each other. It's uh, So my, my response would be that connection is kind of wound up in the thread of Christ through life, and you can take a snapshot anywhere. You know, Corinthians, it's just filled with everyday domestic problems and squabbles. There's nothing, I don't think there's anything missing in it. Um, and I don't think we're supposed to look away. It's messy and ugly, and it's it's there, and it's in the way. It's just everything in the way. It's not about, you know, what this person did. It's like it's just all in the way of love and our responsibility for each other. And and so the the way I I see it tied together is to thread it through today. Where is it today? It's not just that it's mundane and domestic. We know what's going on here. We know they're distracted. But, you know, where do we see the thread in terms of our, our mutual interest, our mutuality in doing the work of Christ? And... You know, today it's 
you know, are you focused on the commerce of life? How are you focused on the business of life? Uh, are you focused on what, 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 or am I focused on what I want today and what freedoms I have and I can do whatever I want to do? And, you know, what does that have to do with uh, other communities and my own community I'm in? So I'm just going to read uh, something that I think threads into it as well. And I'll, you'll know what it is when I read it. Moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelationship of all communities and states. I can't sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens at Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. Dr. King, from the Atlanta jail, from the Birmingham jail, you know, talking to people who are focused on commerce and conflicted with the ethic of what they need to do for other people. And is that last sentence from the letter from the Birmingham jail, we're caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. This fact, you can remove Christ from that, which I think Paul would do. It's like, you know, we're still all connected here, folks. Insert Christ in the thread. So I think, Sarah, that's elegant of like you could say this and then you could cut and paste in here. This has gone on for 2,000 years. And I think our job is to like the voice of John, to repeat it, repent. You know, it goes on. Is, did John get killed? Is he dead? Yeah. Dr. King was assassinated. But I'm reading these words and we're all, if you're watching us on Zoom, we're nodding our heads going, yeah, the network of mutuality. And I think this that fundamental that, that Paul is trying to, to, to put in for every for everybody. It lives, not because I'm repeating the voice, I think, I'm, my opinion. This lives not because I'm repeating the, the voice of Dr. King and I need him. It, we live because what is he citing all through that paragraph? Paul, <laughs> he's, he's, it's like a giant footnote. It's like, by the way, I'm talking about Paul here. <laughs> you should recognize this network of mutuality. So that's that's my response. Oh, thank you. What do you think, Bill? If you were to intersect these two passages together, how do they fit for you? Right. First of all, uh, when I first read this question and started working on it, uh, the literalist in me was looking for exact language intersections. I shifted to what for me was helpful and for want of a better word, the tone of the language. One of my grandmothers used to say to various of us, but sometimes to little Bill, who was full of them and bigger and opinions and so forth, she would say, it's not so much what you say as how you say it. So I your question led me to tune into how does Paul and Jesus speak to people? And first of all, in both passages, they are speaking to people where they are, as they are, and yet inviting and challenging them to move beyond their current circumstances and social milieu. That is not just for us as who have served as pastors, but for all of us. And I think it relates 
to what we're about as electionary podcast team, if all we want to do is repeat what the scripture says and repeat what we've grown up knowing, what's the point? It's not that we have to come up with something new and different, but fresh ways of understanding and applying these scriptures. That, for me, is why I'm on this every week and embrace the, the discipline of preparation, listening to others, listening to the Spirit, and for me, beginning by asking, how does this impact me? And that whole business of meeting people where they are and yet being stretched. And I can look at times in my life with gratitude for people who, for example, at points in my education, saw abilities in me that at that time I could not see and and stretch me. And in other cases, challenging uh, assumptions or prejudice. Also, and I noted this in my response to the first question, Paul says, I appeal to you. Jesus says, follow me. <laughs> There's that, that, that tone of, which I think goes back to what I was just saying. It's, I'm with you. I love you. But I'm inviting you to go somewhere else. And in short, for me, Sarah, the tone in both narratives is respectful and affirming, yet challenging and difficult to embrace and do. It is not easy to live in unity. And we, on this podcast, made before the point that unity is not uniformity. Uh, Matt Skinner, in his commentary on this, very eloquently talks about not flattening. This isn't flattening the human Christian community to where there's this gushy, mushy, we all agree with each other. There's, there's a place for challenging each other and for attention, but done so with a common purpose. And I'm making, um, I'll end with uh, a note that caught my attention, and I'm making much of how this is translated in English. The First Corinthians passage that you read begins with, I appeal to you, and ends with, we are being saved by the power of God. For me, that's a helpful frame. I appeal to you, make a choice, remember Ultimately, it's by the power of God. Thank you, Bill. Charles, what are your thoughts? Uh, Did you pass? (laughs) You're muted. Okay. Um, You know, I, I did the literal thing. I literally, I, I wanted to see if there was a place where a sentence could start in one of these passages and be finished by the other. And uh, I kind of thought of it as a crossword puzzle game to try to figure out. And the the one that just leaped off of me, um, off the plate at me, or off the page, I should say, if I'm going to use the right analogy. Um, chapter in the Matthew, excuse me, in the Corinthians passage, verse 18, the beginning of verse 18, for the message about the cross is... 
and I saw it connect to verse 16 in the Matthew um, scripture, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And it was just like those two pieces fit together like puzzles to me. Um, and and I, I thought that was really interesting um, and a fun little mental exercise, um, both theologically and um, literally. So that was my um, cut and paste for that particular question. Um, my last question, and, and this one was the big explosion in my head. I don't know about you, but maybe maybe you discovered some things I did too. Um, how does Paul and how do we live into the work of fishing as Christ called the disciples? Um, Charles, you want to throw anything in here? No. <laughs> Thank you. Bill, what do you think? How does Paul and how do we live into the work of fishing as Christ called the disciples? Well, first of all, somewhat to repeat myself, I thank you for challenging us. What difference does this make to us today? This isn't just an academic exercise. So thank you for that. It reminds me, uh, Sarah, of something that was, I think, helpfully, and I'm grateful, that was stressed in my growing up in the church. Uh, and it was presented to me as a Protestant principle. I now think it could be embraced by all people of faith. All honorable work is God's work. Jesus did not say to the four fishermen, ah, this, this is not really important work. Uh, let, let me give you a better uh, employment offer. He, again, to repeat myself, he met them at the seashore where they were in their work-a-day worlds and invited them to, which gets at your question, a different kind of fishing. Now, I think I'm right. In the other gospel accounts, when he approaches other people that he invites to be disciples, he doesn't invite them to be fishers of men. He simply invites them. So he's using language that these four men in today's gospel passage would understand. They were fishermen. Also, in terms of how we can apply it, uh, several of the commentators went into a good deal of detail about what it was like to live in Galilee in that time. First of all, it was not the seat of power. That was in Jerusalem. There, are, Even in Scripture, there are indications that people in the southern part of Israel looked down their noses at the then uh, Yankees, the, the people in the north in Galilee. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And it reminds us, that God is at work even in the out-of-boy places. We've all heard sermon illustrations, read stories of how people uh, who are not in the limelight yet act for justice or they um, see a need and meet a need. So that's a reminder that it's not just in among the high and mighty, but even in the quiet, out-of-the-way places and quiet People 
Uh, and it reminds us that God, Jesus calls us into service to God wherever we are and whatever are our circumstances. And Paul invites us to do so with a unity of purpose and spirit in the face of our real differences. I had an interesting conversation recently with a person who shares many of my concerns and viewpoints, especially in the toxic political environment. And he described how he really reaches out to people who are of a different persuasion and his approach is what's important in your life right now. Uh, What is it that you aspire to? He seeks to find points of contact in the midst of very uh, even extreme differences. And again, to speak out of my great appreciation over the decades as a pastor working with people in recovery, um, It reminds me of the serenity prayer. These, both of these narratives reflect the need for the courage to change. (laughs) Grant me the serenity to accept, the courage to change, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, And the 12th step of uh, recovery, and I will edit it slightly, Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we will carry this message to others, and we will use these principles in all our relationships. That we are called, Sarah, to carry the message. Now, we do it differently, uh, and we want to do so with respect, but we are called to share the good news. Again, thank you for your questions. Don, do you want to throw something into the mix? I, what I'm learning from this is, yeah, fishing, I've been raised up to think about fishing being outward, going out, seeking. But fishing requires inward thinking and requires community. Fishing doesn't work without it. And I think Paul's seeing a group of people like like any group we're not ready uh we have no unity and i think also it's unspoken but we have no hospitality and you know the relationship with paul and others is really based on the community's own hospitality and waiting that allow paul to come and others and be a part of the larger community, that larger mutual network that Dr. King references. And they're not ready. So there's no expression of hospitality in the end. There's no unity. There's no readiness. And, you know, back to Christ, we're not loving one another. So fishing, looking at these two passages, is tied to those things. It's, it's wrapped into the business of life. And it's wrapped in the role of the church if it understands the network of mutuality. And that takes work, daily work. And Paul just simply points out the distractions and confusions that make fishing impossible. Impossible, I bet. Impossible. 
And most of all, I think he points out the things that that church believes can be possessed or controlled, uh, which would include uh, who could be followed. You know, I follow my person, not your person. And he just points them out so crisply and so sharply. It sure is familiar to me because every day, I don't know about you, every day I wake up trying to find someone or something that can tell me I'm doing the right thing. I'm hungry for that. You know, it's easy to fall into that. I want to be, I want to be affirmed. There's the modern language. I would like to be affirmed, please. And I'll go to quite extreme steps to make sure I'm affirmed. And if somebody can bless my decision, well, good for me. And Paul just brings that out. So no fishing is really possible. No understanding is possible without it. I'll put it another way. I'm just acting out for myself. Well, my name's Don, and I have a more excellent way. I have a more excellent way. I have a more excellent person. And Paul just wags his finger. <laughs> no. <laughs> you missed it. Don't you remember? We all repented. Don't you remember? So there is a more excellent way, but that's not that's not for me. And it's not for it's not for me to tie myself to a mortal person to help me affirm myself. I th- I think this gospel is really that simple, and it confronts me with the expectation that we are responsible for each other. And if the only way to be responsible for each other, Bill, to your point, is to see each other and serve each other and to be present with each other. That's what I got, Sarah. So in reading Mark Davis this week um, and his blog, Left Behind and Loving It, um, I discovered some gold um, in two places. Um, he he decides to lift and, and promote a comment made by Magnus Romage from three years ago. Um, uh, Magnus writes, adding to your comment about verse 19, uh, come after me and I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people. Um, He says, adding to your comment about that, I like what Ched Myers says on a parallel phrase in Mark, that perhaps no expression more traditionally misunderstood there is no expression more traditionally misunderstood than Jesus' invitation to these workers to become fishers of men. This metaphor, despite the grand old tradition of missionary interpretation, does not refer to the saving of souls as if Jesus were conferring upon these men instant evangelist status. Rather, the image is carefully chosen from Jeremiah 16.6, where it's used as a symbol of Yahweh's censure of Israel. Elsewhere, the hooking of fish is a euphemism for the judgment upon the rich and powerful. Taking this mandate for his own, Jesus is inviting the common folk to join in the struggle to overturn the existing power and privilege in themselves. So, Don, I agree with you. I think this is an opportunity for us to look more closely internally and and say to others, I don't know that that's of Christ if they're following a different flag bearer, so to speak. So I, I was encouraged by this um, because I am, I've often thought, well, there are lots of lines in the sand about how you fish for people and what fishing for people means. And 
Um, and who's allowed to fish for people? And um, so I, I was concerned that, that this be an applicable and universal question for everyone. And I think that the idea that you have to introspectively align yourself to the purposes of God um, is important. So I was heartened to hear these words. So thank you, Magnus Ramage and uh, Mark Davis, for bringing it to the forefront in my head this week. So that's what I got. Back to you, Don. Great. And uh, for those listening in, uh, we invite you to uh, stick with us on this journey uh, during Epiphany, uh, where we're looking at the gospel uh, through the lens of First Corinthians. And we're going to continue that next week. So we look forward to that conversation. Uh, Paul Messier Presbyterian Church that makes this podcast possible is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A dot org. We commend that site to you. Great sermons, discussions, Sunday schools, reflections, prayers, outstanding music, differences of opinion. Uh, so check that out. Uh, and if you have comments for us, we always like hearing from you. You can reach us by going to lectionary call in at palmacia.org, lectionary call in at palmacia.org. And you're always welcome. We'll see you next time.